This is Thinking Out Loud, a podcast about current events and Christian hope. Have a hard time putting those two things together? You're not alone. Our timelines may be filled with bad news, but Christ remains on his throne. So what does it mean to live in the light of that truth rather than the shadow of our never-ending dumpster fires? That's the question animating this conversation between Nathan Rittenhouse and Cameron McAllister, two Christian apologists who believe that true hope and realism go hand in hand. So let's think out loud together about current events and Christian hope. Hello, and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. I'm your co-host, Nathan Rittenhouse. And I'm your co-host, Cameron McAllister. Cameron, we're going to go for a second lap on the same topic and theme as last time. I think it's one of the things that we're all well aware of in life is that uh, oftentimes a news story does not end where you think it will. And so the whole Joe Rogan, Spotify, communication, misinformation, sensation, I don't know how we wanted to Juggernaut. define it all, but yeah, uh, certainly continuing to make headlines. And I think it's it makes sense in a time in which we're all kind of interested in online platforms and communication and what's true and what's perceived to be true and what people are saying and where they feel misrepresented. And so an unbelievable percentage of the news stories of our era have something to do with that. And this is just a wonderful example of it and gives us a lot of room to, to discuss some of the features of communication and uh, how we convey truth in this time. So uh, what, what angles or elements, how are you hearing about this or what are you seeing that is catching your eye as this story continues to develop? Yeah, I mean, the first thing that I guess is worthy of note is that Spotify have, have responded and are adding now I guess, a kind of warning on episodes that contain any kind of, a con- you know, maybe controversial takes on COVID-19 and vaccines, that sort of thing. And so there's now going to be a kind of a warning added to episodes like that. And there's even the possibility there. there I think Spotify have just been pretty keen to clarify their community guidelines. And I know for many people, they'll hear the word, those words, community guidelines as a kind of shorthand for censorship. So, I mean, all of this, every element of this is, is highly controversial. But so I think that's an interesting development that you see happening. Also, Joe Rogan has a response, which I think is worth listening to. And of course, this will come as no uh, no surprise to anybody who's even remotely familiar with Joe Rogan. But there is some language in it. Just so you know, I don't don't say Cameron didn't warn you, but it's on Instagram, and I think I think it's a pretty good response. Actually, let's. I want to walk through it for just a second because we kind of gave Neil Young the benefit of the doubt. I would say on the last episode, mm-hmm. sure. Right. And so we, aim, we we were aiming for some balance here. So let's give Joe Rogan the benefit of the doubt. And so he basically he says, look, the whole dynamic of the show is completely is necessarily unplanned. And so, you know, obviously this this sounds kind of familiar to me because obviously you and I are not sitting here reading off of a script at all. And there's there's a whole lot of spontaneity that goes into this. In fact, Listeners, I have may not no be idea what you're going to say next. Right. I mean, what I mean, this really is kind of that's part of the fun and and part of the the nerviness of this because Nathan and I will will find a certain topic, we'll start talking, and then when it becomes apparent that we're really interested and invested, one of us will say, "Well, stop, save it for the recording." 
to try to catch that spontaneity. So Rogan is is that to an even higher extent, and he's he's got major celebrities, but also people who are at the very top of their fields, and he features some very sometimes controversial perspectives, and so he talked about how there were there these were the people he's had on who dissent from maybe the popular narrative on. COVID-19 treatment and the protocol surrounding it, that he he wanted those different perspectives. And these 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 people were experts. He wanted to hear what they had to say because he found it interesting. That's why he had them on the show. And so actually, I should state clearly for the record, I stated, stated in the last one that I'm a Neil Young fan. That doesn't necessarily mean I share his perspective here. And when it comes to Neil Young's perspective on Joe Rogan sharing dangerous misinformation that's possibly leading to deaths, I have to state very clearly that I don't think that that is the case. And I'm not the biggest, I'm not always the biggest Joe Rogan fan, but I mean, hey, he's he's a compelling guy to listen to. And I've said this to Nathan before. He has a very rare gift. It is, he makes it look so easy to sit down and get somebody to open up. But actually, if you've ever watched lots of interviews, you will know that most of them are excruciating to sit through. They're horrible to watch because they're horribly uncomfortable because interviewing people is really, really hard. And they're often really awkward and stilted. And the person being interviewed is clearly annoyed. But so all that to say, Joe Rogan just has this natural gift for getting people to open up and really talk about some very heated and deep subjects. And so he's 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 interesting to listen to. There's a reason for his popularity and he features really interesting perspectives. His goal is to is to feature many different perspectives and he's he's motivated I think primarily by intellectual curiosity. Now, he says in the in the you know in this video, do I get things wrong? Absolutely, but I do try to correct them. And that's true. And he does occasionally get some stuff very wrong. I don't know if any of you caught his comments on the Old Testament, but my goodness, if you want to, <laughs> if you want to get, get a crash course in, in some of the stuff that he said that is really pretty foolish, look no further than that. But that said, he's a compelling voice. He's a really good interviewer, and he wants to feature diverse perspectives because he's intellectually curious. And I don't think that he's spreading permis- per- pernicious misinformation. I think we can so I'd, I'd like to state that clearly. So all of this is, has made for a really interesting conversation that continues to kind of gain traction. Joni Mitchell is the latest to sort of express her solidarity, as she said, with with Neil Young. And she's yanked her catalog now. And some other artists are threatening to do so. I love I got to say some of the jokes are hilarious, though. The, um, you know, Nickelback threatened to add more music if Joe Rogan is not removed from Spotify. I just, I do find that kind of funny. Anyway, any any of this, this, uh, I mean, yeah. What what about you, Nathan? I mean, do you you like Joe Rogan? You Joe Rogan fan? So I think you've well, watched. You've listened to more Joe Rogan than I have. The uh, well, because he he ends up getting because he does have a wide range of stuff. So like the Jordan Peterson one, I sent you a n- number of clips because. Uh, particularly on some of their Bible commentary is uh, rather fascinating to see that talked about in that way at that level. But this is the question I have. Uh, And one, I think in that statement, Rogan did say, look, I've had quite a number of people on the show who are recognized experts in the medical field who do state exactly and stick very tightly to the CDC guidelines and everything. So 
I think he would say, I am trying to have a balanced perspective here. And in some of those, you know, even with CNN's medical advisor, he was saying, you know, that CNN was saying stuff about me that clearly was not true. And, uh, and they admitted to that. So there's, there's, there's been a long history of, uh, on the, on this particular topic on the vaccinations, that sort of thing. The question I have is, I think you and I, maybe, maybe we're naive on something and maybe not, because I think both of us would see something like Joe Rogan. And I've, I haven't listened to any whole episodes or anything. Certainly there are lots of clips on YouTube and that sort of thing. But you can, you know what all else you can hear Joe Rogan talking about? Uh, alien invasions, flat earth, hunting dinosaurs. Um, you know, so yeah, he has a lot of varied perspectives on there and lets people talk and say what they're thinking and ask questions. But to me, it, it does not smack of like, oh, and this is where I'm going to get my medical advice from. And so I think both of us would fit in that category where we would look at it as such a whimsical thing that we wouldn't really take i'm trying to figure out what the mm -hmm. actual level of risk there really yeah. is are there really people who are getting their uh life coaching from joe rogan you know what there probably are and maybe that's a whole nother conversation or maybe that is this conversation that we're having right now so i just want to recognize i think we're a bit biased in the way of the degree of seriousness that we lend toward online information in in that category does that rambling make sense it does. So let me let me add one more word in Joe Rogan's defense before I say some things that are a little bit more critical along the lines of, I think, where you were going, Nathan. But so one of the other interesting points that he brings up in the video, and I think this is very fair, he says, I have a problem with the word misinformation. Because at one point, if you said anything about vaccinated per people being able to contract the virus, you would have been censored on many platforms and silenced and kicked off in some cases. He says now, of course, that's accepted as common knowledge. Another one, and this one, this one's been percolating for a while. You know, a lot of people said that cloth masks really aren't very effective as protection. And at first, if you if you said that on certain platforms, again, you're going to get silenced, you're going to get censored, you get those warnings. Now that's largely accepted as scientific fact. So a lot of this, oh, the other the other big one, you know, any mention of COVID possibly being created in a lab and you're in big trouble. Now it's on the cover of Newsweek. So the shifting sands of the word misinformation, I think he's, I think he's, it's, it's pretty... I, I makes a lot of sense that he would point that out. I think that's a reasonable perspective for him to bring in here. But yeah, so I think when I when I look at Joe Rogan, what goes what goes through my head is I remember him as the host on Fear Factor. I I think of him as all right. This is gonna run okay. Well, I'm just gonna say it. I think of him as not too far removed in some ways from a Howard Stern like figure. I got to be careful here because he's not he's not a shock jock quite but he's at least I think in similar territory. I mean, yes, he he'll be talking to Jordan Peterson and sometimes very high caliber scholars, sometimes medical experts, but then he'll also have people like Rob Zombie on his show. 
and he'll talk to them at length. Or, yeah, he'll talk about alien invasion theories and or psychedelic drugs. By the way, let's there's a there's a footnote to us again. We need to talk about that. That's a subject we need to talk about at some point, Nathan. But so all that to say, I think he is an entertainer and I have him in that category. And yes, he has people on his show who aren't necessarily in that category, but I still think the primary medium of his podcast is really entertainment. And so does that mean I take him less seriously as a human being? No, it doesn't. Does it mean that I don't regard him with the same sense of, you know, gravity as I would somebody speaking from you know, some established scientific plat- platform or community? Yeah, it does. I, I look at him a little bit differently. Now, I think the short answer to your question, Nathan, that, that you asked is, you know, is he a life coach for a lot of people? Yes. And I don't know if listeners will remember the New York Times podcast, Rabbit Hole. Nathan and I listened listened to that, and that was that was a very compelling and interesting show, if you haven't listened to it, because it basically... It chronicles the journey of radicalization that can happen in in basically in both directions of the political spectrum, by the way. But and a significant part of that consists in people who spend absolutely unbelievable amounts of time online just going down the rabbit hole of YouTube video after YouTube video and usually becoming very infatuated with a particular personality and then suddenly the person stops being an entertainer and kind of becomes an authority an authority figure and i do think that one of the hallmarks of our moment is that we're in an age where we've got a crisis of authority meaning we have a very hard time discerning legitimate sources of authority We've always got sources of authority. Everybody does. But it's it's the discernment of legitimate sources of authority. And COVID-19 has really brought that to a head in many ways. So there's, there are some of my rambling thoughts. I think I've said enough to, to get me in a lot of trouble, especially with Joe Rogan fans. <laughs> so I've tried to, to give him his due, but we'll, we'll see. Nathan, does that, does that strike you as in any way getting in the ballpark of what, what you were talking about? Well, so I'm, I'm wondering here if if this is the logical outworking or the necessary outworking of our educational system, because for so long we've kind of talked about the academic arena in which deconstructing and asking questions and knowing what all of the opinions are is labeled as the highest form of what it means to be educated. So not that you would actually clearly hold an authority or, or hold a position based off of an authority, but you would know what all the options are. And so Joe Rogan speaks into that ethos that we have of what it means to be an informed person by saying, yes, and I'm going to let you hear what all these other options are. And so he has near Hollywood level reach, but way outside the boundaries of what is considered to be politically correct to talk about. And so some, the controversy around him is exactly why he is so popular. And so Everything that's happening right now is not hurting his popularity. It is definitely increasing it because people are going to say, look, I told you so. Here's somebody who months ago had people who are willing to say you can be vaccinated and still get the virus. So he's right just enough because he has a broad enough Mm -hmm. that you can listen to him, not necessarily need to form any opinions of your own, but think, okay, now I know the breadth of the opinions that are out there. And that makes me feel 
Like I'm well-educated on the topic. So I think we just have to recognize that it works in this moment, partly because of the way in which our actual ins academic institutions talk about what it means to be educated on a topic. So there's a little bit of that. Um, but okay. So to loop back around, given what you've said, what we've been saying here, we're, I'm, I'm wondering how much of our approach to how we process online information is based off of our personalities, um, based off of our kind of way of thinking about things as Christians, but then also wondering about it as, um, like people in our mid thirties and where we line up on the whole introduction of the internet and what it means for something to be true. Because one of the, the jokes in all of this is that it's not, I would say that most people who are taking Joe Rogan seriously on some of this stuff are not young people. Now I'm sure he does have a younger following, but it's interesting. I mean, over the last four years, how many times have you kind of seen the meme where somebody's like, you know, growing up, my parents told me not to believe everything they see on the internet. And now my parents believe everything that they see on the internet. And that is the, is the, is the interesting conversation that's happening right now of people like, how did my parents end up thinking that this was a good idea? Because for me, as somebody who grew up in this and, and kind of learned the signals of like, that is clickbait. That's a, you're going to get a virus. If you click on, like we, we grew up learning kind of what the shape and the nature of the jungle is online. And I'm, I'm shifting off of the Joe Rogan topic a little bit here, but just wondering how that plays into it of what it means to be a digital native. And then what it also means for people who didn't grow up with kind of that same training of this is a great way to get burned um, or having lower uh, inhibitions about clicking on things or believing things. How does that, it seems like there's something that's very true there, but I haven't been able to decide exactly what that is. Yeah, I mean, if you're, I think that is a factor here because if if you are a a digital native, there's an ingrained, intuitive kind of know-how and discernment that enters in. But if the internet is is something that's not, you know, part of your an intimate part of your landscape. I think it's it just stating it very baldly. It's more easy to take things at face value, but it's also I think there's a higher degree of self consciousness, and I I don't know I I distrust sometimes all of these broad generational statements. So just take it with a grain of of salt here. But I do seem to it does seem to be the case that millennials and younger are a little bit more aware of the manipulative and harmful and addictive effects of technology particularly smart devices because and the way he, the, the way this is off this often plays out just in everyday conversations at least in my life is this Nathan people will say yeah you'll have to explain to me it'll be somebody who's older probably 50 and old older who will say to me explain to me why people your age never answer their text messages and it's not as simple as well, you know. We're we're just we're just we're asocial, you know, and we 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 have commitment problems. We we don't like you. We don't like you, and we're just deciding to ghost you. <laughs> no, that's not the answer. Right? No, that's not the answer. The answer is that I think we have, in some ways, this is one thing I think millennials get right because it goes along with the digital native conversation. I would say we have a healthier relationship with our devices because we have learned it is so necessary with the absolute gargantuan 
amounts of information that are just coming in all the time, it is so important to establish boundaries. Because, I mean, there's been no shortage of articles talking about the level of exhaustion that that ensues because now employers have unfettered access to you. They can text you. They can reach you any anytime that they want. So, you know, the do using the do not disturb button or silencing, you know, alerts, all of these kinds of habits are ways to keep that in check. Whereas one of the one of the the ways I see that people who are not necessarily digital natives operating is they are they're basically it's the tyranny of their the urgent with their smart devices they have to answer everything sometimes in the middle of a sentence with me they've got to answer that they've got to answer that email it's a point of pride answer that email answer that text right now and did you see this article i mean i can't tell you people who send me long sprawling youtube clips usually not younger people so you know, I've and I've, you know, I think that's a factor too. I think you you know when to keep your technology at arms at arm's length. I think we have a better understanding of YouTube, for instance, which has these, you know, obviously algorithms that are designed to keep you quote engaged. Engaged being a pretty dark euphemism for keeping you hooked on your device. So I think that's a I think that's a big part of it, actually. That might just be my perspective, but I do think a big part of it has to do with now, there are plenty of really young people who are absolutely addicted to the online world. Don't get me wrong. But I do think that there's there's a distinction to be made sometimes between the way some of the younger people understand the risks involved with the addiction and the ways in which the internet, you know, the web now will, will use manipulative strategies to pull you in. So I think that's part of it also. But yeah. So there you have it. We've we've come a, we've come a long way from from Joe Rogan here. Maybe Joe Rogan would like to have both of us on his show, and we can talk to him about about why he's <laughs> for four hours and why he's a life no. coach. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I don't I don't know that we are off topic because we're trying to process why people process information differently online and what is a legitimate threat. Um, that's that's what's going on. Um. I was also wondering about and, I mean, like people, how it, well, I was just wondering like Neil Young is somebody who is older. He probably needs to have a different outlook on COVID than Joe Rogan does. Um, like there is a difference. Like there are things of like who's who's commenting on this and who's a part of this that play into this as well. So there is that. Yeah, and I, I think it's worth I think it's worth pointing out. Also, that Joe Rogan says he's a Neil he's a Neil Young fan. So, it's there's been a lot of people who are, you know, keep quoting that silly line from Sweet Home Alabama, but you know the Leonard Skinner line, you know, the Southern man don't need him around anyhow, you know, because it's about you know a Neil Young. And by the way, Ronnie Van Zant was also from. This is just a side note. Also a Neil Young fan, by the way. So, I don't know why I, I just. I feel the need to say that on, <laughs> online. It's not the the whole because the whole you know Joe Rogan versus Neil Young and Joe Rogan is crushing Neil Young strikes me as is as kind of silly in the way that that whole thing is is spun out. That's part of what it, I think what we kind of wanted to get at in that very first episode was to take us beyond everything. Just turns into tribalism all the time, and it takes you to silly ends, you know. And one of them would be. You may you may disagree with Neil Young's 
perspective. That's fine. But then the thought that you have to now trash his music and say that he's, you know, he's basically everything he ever did is invalidated. That's unfortunate. And actually, that's the habit of an ideologue. And maybe you just don't like his music. Totally fine. Totally fine. But over the years, he's garnered a reputation for being an absolutely stellar musician because he's very good at writing beautiful melodies and he's a great songwriter. So all that to say, you can have, you know, he can he can write stellar music and still hold, you know, views that you think are really silly. The two, both of these things can be true, by the <laughs> I, way. So. One of my uncles said to me, he's like, yeah, I Just listen to your podcast. <laughs> he's like, I listen to your podcast. And he's like, can't believe you didn't know who Neil Young was. But got to tell you, I didn't know what Spotify was, so I guess we're even. <laughs> so just throw in the uh, <laughs> differences abound. All right, so Cameron, where do you go to find out what's true? Well, I mean, we're to, it, it. I mean, it, I suppose it depends on the subject. Are we talking about? Do you want? Do you want to make? Do we narrow down the list here a little bit, or? Oh yes, yeah, so, okay. So, well, the I guess here's the question: Is that do no? I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna make it broader first, and then we can narrow it down. All right. Do you seek out information, or does information seek you out? It seems to me that we're living in a time in which, if you're if you're subscribed to a podcast, that information is coming to you without you necessarily saying, "Oh, I want to go find out." Uh, what my perspective on the time between getting a vaccination and getting my booster shots is. If you go online and yeah. look for that, that's one thing. It's another thing if you're just you're always listening to a podcast and there's a different perspective on that. So the the intentionality with which we seek information does have a bearing or the lack of intentionality, I think those are the things that are more dangerous. When the information is coming to us yeah. unsolicited or because it's the algorithm that is suggesting us because they know this person has a tick and an interest in this mm -hmm. and therefore I can keep pumping them mm -hmm. videos um, and jack up my uh, advertising margin mm -hmm. because I'm the one who's captivating and directing the direction they're looking and the questions that they're asking. I guess that's, that's, that's the, where I'd like to shift this a little bit is say, okay, well, how do we not, yep. how do we, how do we, what are the principles for handling this? Well, okay. That's a really good question. Let me give you some broad answers I think when it comes to seeking out the truth on something, if I'm trying to find out the truth, I think it's important to make sure that desire itself is not steering the ship. Desire is, or let's, let's use a better phrase, personal preference. So when it comes to, for instance, a novel virus, COVID-19, I want to, I am hardwired as a modern person, I just am, to prioritize personal preference over the truth. And I am aware of that in my life because that is part of the cultural air that I breathe. So therefore, I'm not going to, I'm going to try to start by looking for, I, I mean, I really want to find out what actually the, what is actually the case, first of all. And if it, you know, violates my wishes, if it violates my political preferences, then so be it. I try to be nonpartisan when I'm when I'm searching for something like that. And I'm going to start probably, I'm not going to start with the the outliers or the dissenting voices or the fringe voices or the I'm going to try to start with people who who are 
part of established the established authorities on that particular topic, right? So the scientific community, I'm going to look at I'm going to look for established news sites and news sources. Will they have slants? Of course. I mean, I think, you know, and a kind of bias, bias is a is a sort of inevitable feature of all publications in human life. But I want to look for established sources. Now, here's where I already, I think listeners will be stiffening in their car seats or wherever they find themselves when they hear me say this, because a lot of, this is where the word the media gets thrown around a lot. Who knows really what the media means? That's such a massive word. It's like, you know, saying the people, what people? It's like saying, I have a real problem with the church. What church? I have a problem with the media. Okay, what what, what media? But I do have some sympathy here because a lot of our news sources have done a lot to lose trust from the public in recent years. And so I think people do have a real sense of there's this there's this real pronounced sense of distrust and they're worried that they're not getting the full truth or that there are all kinds of you know there's there's all kinds of foreign agendas behind stuff and that they're not getting straight facts and that they're you know they're just worried about the motives and the intentions and they just have a real problem with trust and so somebody like a Joe Rogan who who is he seems to yeah he he breaks from some of the the party line and has dissenting voices on in some ways there's a kind of punk rock sensibility to this because it's you know it's very you know very anti-establishment so to speak but features a whole bunch of options but here's the here's the other here's where i'm going to bring in a philosophical point and we don't like it but it's absolutely true and this is my thinking here is from michael polani in his his magnificent book personal knowledge but basically, Polanyi says, there's no way when it comes to the pursuit of truth to avoid risk. You cannot avoid it. And it seems to me that we live in a day and age where lots of people still think that you can if you rely on the science. And there's this kind of view if we look at it broadly, there are some people who seem to see scientists either as magicians or sorcerers, <laughs> evil sorcerers. But both of those attribute way too or much. Or priest. Or, or priests. There you go. So, yeah, magicians, priests, sorcerers. But all of that is, th- those, are, those are very superstitious ways of looking at scientists. Scientists are accomplished in their field. And they have earned a level of expertise. And the scientific community is intensely rigorous because if you want to be a player there, you have to go through rigorous training and apprenticeship and all sorts of really, really hard work. So they, they earn that respect. But that said, they are still human beings and science is a human institution. And scientists will tell you, yeah, you know, errors are printed all the time in, sci- in peer-reviewed scientific research journals. So I'm saying that to point out there there are various reasons why people distrust the World Health Organization, for instance, or the CDC, for instance, right? But pointing to, quote, inconsistencies, well, they changed their tune on the masks now. Oh, they changed their tune on, on the vaccines now, and who can who can get it, who can't? A statement like that, I think, betrays a misunderstanding of how 
science and research actually work. Because it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that there's a fail-safe response that precludes all risk and a top-down solution that will work in absolutely every environment. No, it's a novel virus. We're learning as we go, and mistakes will be made. That's normal. We ought to expect that. That doesn't that doesn't invalidate everything from the get-go. And so I think those are some of the elements. You know, try to take personal prep. Don't let personal preference take the lead on when you're doing research. If you do that, you're, you're falling into a kind of, you'll fall into a politicized kind of ideologue mode really quickly if you do that too much. Try to take personal preference out if it's something like that, and also try to recognize the way science actually works, and the fact that all convictions involve risk, and it involve, yeah, it involves us making a commitment to what we believe to be the truth. We think it's right. We think it's reasonable. We try to do so without as with as little recklessness as, as possible, but the, the fact of the matter is we will make mistakes, and the, and the risk of making mistakes and getting it wrong is unavoidable. So there's my long-winded answer to your, to your question, Nathan. <laughs> so, yeah, there's that. So, um, well, I forget where I was. I was speaking somewhere and somebody said, what does this verse mean? It was a Q&A thing. And I said, well, what do you want it to mean? And I'll recommend a commentary that goes with what you want it to say. And everybody cracked up laughing. But the point that I was making there, and this is totally true in a modern era with internet connectivity, is that you can find a person with a PhD to justify any opinion that you have. It's as easy as that. You can find somebody with a degree to validate what you believe to be true. And we just have to recognize that's the way that it is. It's a wildly diverse world out there. So that's the that's part of it. So one of the things is, is that we, we can dress personal preference up with... What's the phrase? Do your own research, right? Right. Which means... Research until you find some find somebody who agrees with me, which doesn't take long. I mean, the internet is built to give you what you want, so you'll find it if you look for it. I think the to to make a little bit of a turn here again is to say that we're living in an in an era where rampant skepticism is the byproduct of us seeing everything as an advertisement. And what I think you and I are pushing for here is like, no, there are things that are true. And it's not all just a hoax and it's not all just advertising. There are things that really are true. But if you're listening to this as a Christian, this makes sense to you. And this is also often why there's such a high resistance to people embracing the things that you believe to be true is because when you make a truth claim, the person hearing that has already heard 2000 other truth claims that day. And as a defense mechanism for survival, you have to be hardwired to say no to every new thing that you hear in order just to survive, or you would buy everything that was suggested to you in the margins of your uh, morning news article. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, we're, we're hardwired to reject things in a way that makes a lot of the skepticism and other categories of our lived experience make sense to us. We all say no far more than we say yes. And we all see a hidden something uh, lurking behind every single truth claim as an advertisement of why is it out to get me? I think if we recognize that, that's helpful, but it also is interesting when you start looking at, and for me, you know, Jesus is one of the really interesting characters of history who speaks truth genuinely for the sake of the other. 
And most of the time when we live in a culture in an online format where I speak something and claim that it's true because by you believing that it is true, I make money or I get more followers or you buy the shampoo, uh, you know, it's all advertising. No, the, you know, the model doesn't think this is the best shampoo in the world, but you need to be convinced of it in order for them mm-hmm. to get paid for their work. Right. So we live in an era where everything is seen as an advertisement. Everything has a catch to it. And that's a difficult ethos to talk about Christ in. But I think it's captivating to me when we kind of look at the era and the information that we're talking about and misinformation, communication, and what's what's in it and what's in it for me and what's behind it all, to recognize that actually Jesus is very fascinating. But it's not just Christ. I think that's the challenge for us is to live as Christians who are people who are seeking the good of the other just because. It's the right thing to do. It's what God asks of it. And so what is, what's in it for me if I serve you? Maybe absolutely nothing. Maybe it's just the right thing to do. Um, so what's in it for me to tell you the truth? Maybe something that's good for you. But but living lives that detach us from that desire to for self-promotion or the self-validation of our own opinions and desires, that's a kind of a rare thing these days. So... I don't think we're helping anything here, but I, but all in some ways it's like, oh yeah, yeah. We're still talking about YouTube and Spotify and all these platforms and digital, like blah, blah, blah. It's out there. But no, actually that is the framework in which we're living out and speaking truth as Christians. And so that means something. What we're doing here is an analysis of the situation in which you're trying to live out your faith. So for me, that doesn't solve anything, but it's helpful for me to keep in the back of the mind that some of my mind, that some of the resistance that we sometimes have to some of the things that we say is because we see them as distinct from what we would consider misinformation or false information or confusion, but oftentimes they get lumped right in with that way of thinking from people who are looking at this from the outside. That's good, Nathan. And I rest my case. Well, and yeah, and just to go along with that, one, I'm going to give you one specific personal example because it may be it may be helpful to some listeners here. So one of the sources of authority when it comes to COVID-19 for me is my children's pediatrician. And I think this what I like about this that's different is it's not I'm not online. It's not even it's now I'm I'm reading the news obviously and maybe I'm watching some interviews as well. But this is a person with whom I actually have a relationship, and there is real trust there. And he has been incredibly, incredibly helpful. And I think for a while there was a lot of there was a lot of encouragement to speak with your, you know, your personal physician, your doctor, your primary care physician. And so I all, all that to say, part of what I I yes, we live our lives in digital space in many ways. That is our context. But I think it'd also be good if we lived our lives less in digital space, especially when we're working through very important issues. And if we can do that on a personal level, you know, preferably face to face, mask to mask as it used to be, then I think there you can you can really gain some some a different level of insight because there's actual human interaction there. And so do I do do you know? Do I think every word that this person says to me is gospel? Well, no. I think this is a person I'm talking to. But do I think that 
he has a more informed opinion on the matter than I do because of his training and his background. Yes, I do. And so that doesn't mean I don't still weigh it with my own sense of responsibility. And we're going to come down in different ways on some of these issues. That's also just part of human life. We have to make responsible decisions. But I just think it's also helpful to, when we're looking to find information where we're researching, hey, maybe if you have people in your life who are in the know, you know, talk to them. And I know many of you are already doing that, but I think just talking to another human being can be such an antidote to the, yeah, the, the kind of personal preference heavy info that gets aimed at your skull 24-7, you know what I mean? So just a little anecdote. To- yeah, so we're making a distinction here between, yeah, reading is not the same as swallowing. A video is not the same as truth. We we have to be people who can make those distinctions. I was thinking as you were speaking there of kind of the Romans 12 of being transformed by the renewing of your mind that you would be able to, you know, determine the will of God. And so that idea of constructing a proper filter that we can say, okay, this is silliness or, hey, this is helpful. Um, this actually comports with reality. This is part of what it looks like to live well in the place that I live at this time. This information is useful or helpful for that. And I, I, we don't want to rule out the category of things that we see that are just interesting. Um, so there, there are things out there that are just interesting. They don't maybe have any utility to them. They're just interesting. Um, but let's not change the fabric of our lives or neglect the wisdom of our community based off of the interesting things in the world, but off of the things that are true and are genuinely for the benefit of the other. Uh, I think those are those are the challenging things to to grow in. Um, so leave it up to Cameron and and myself to uh, complicate. <laughs> oh, this is what's happening on Spotify. No, this is what's happening in our own communities and in our own lives and the ways we have to be thoughtful about this. Um, so anyway, hopefully there's been something helpful for you in this. You've been listening to Thinking Out Loud, a podcast where we think out loud about current events and Christian hope. Thanks for listening to Thinking Out Loud. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, book one of our speakers, or make a donation, visit thinkingoutloudtogether.com. And lastly, if you like our podcast, spread the word. And please consider leaving us a five-star rating. It really does help.